Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. everybody welcome back to the podcast confessions of a creative director the original podcast made by a creative director for creative directors for creatives of all types people who aspire to be creative directors or despise creative directors you get an inside look at the way that we think i know i make that joke all the time but it's still funny to me because i'm sure there are some people who like those damn creative directors, they think they're so smart. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I am your host, Jaime Cabrera. Welcome to the show. We've got a great one on tap for you today. Uh, I will be speaking to Ty Stafford, Executive Creative Director Content. That's very important. We'll talk about that at NVE Experience Agency. Now, this guy, this is a really cool cat. I enjoyed my conversation with him, he has done something that I was never able to do, and I was working specifically in experiential, which is start a, a content group, a content division, so to speak, that is producing like you know big, big stuff, commercials, even digital content, um, really amazing content of all types, uh, and that's that's diff- that would prove difficult uh, for me because it was hard to convince clients that we could do that as well. But he has done it in large part because he is, before it was a term, a YouTuber. Uh, kind of started that many, many years ago. He was a content creator. You'll have to check out some of his stuff, which we talk about. So that kind of gave him credibility um, with with uh, some of the clients to be able to say, hey, I've done this. I know how to do it. I can produce you know, social content that um, you know will produce results. So he's got that credibility. Um, and he's also always been into just making stuff, doing things on your own. And he talks about how that really is key to defining your own career and growing and not being pigeonholed uh, by the old agency system. So without further ado, let's get into this wide ranging conversation with Ty Stafford. Ty Stafford, welcome to the podcast, man. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Just came off of a shoot directly here, ready to rip. You came you came straight from a shoot. That's right. Yeah, we're on day one of a two-day shoot with uh, Amazon Alexa uh, for Thursday Night Football. I'm, I'm stoked. I cannot wait for it to come out. That's rad. Uh, I don't know. You you might not be able to tell us too much about that, but that's that's very cool. But, but thank you for uh, making the time. I'm sure you're probably wiped out. Uh, so thanks for, thanks for making the time to uh, join the podcast. It's par for the course. Can't talk too much about the spot, but I can say that Thursday night football is now streaming on, uh, Amazon prime. That's already happened. I love it. So the world knows. 
I love it. I love it. Well, let's uh, let's do a little toast to your shoot. Hopefully, everything continues to go well. I assume it is. What are you drinking over there on that end? I got a Lacroix Pomplamoose sparkling water. What do you got? Delicious. I have a Golden Road melon cart that I that I I've gotten to this thing where I you probably can't see it here, and of course, listeners can't see it. But I I cut the tops off, and then I put a little tahini in there. So it's like a little That's, visit to the to the uh, fruit man. That see, this is this is already creative happening in real time. Pulling that That's off. Right. That's right. Awesome. <laughs> That's right. So uh, cheers, man. Take a little sip here. Cheers. So we had a quick chat. I think it was on Friday, and I already knew I, that I liked you. I'm like, this guy's this guy <laughs> knows what's going on. He's cool. He's he's awesome. And then I was doing my research, getting ready for the call today. And I stumbled on this little video here that I found on on YouTube, and you had told me about this, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, this. That you're you're a content creator, in, you know, in your spare time. In other words, you do stuff on your own for fun. And I stumbled on this great video that's got four million views, published on uh, day after Christmas, 2017, surprise carpool karaoke proposal where you, um, it looks like you created this really fun experience for your girlfriend in your car, where it looks like you ended up uh, proposing to her at the very end. And then to, to just kind of take it over the top, you sang one of my favorite songs of all time, the most underrated band in the world, The Romantics. You sang What I Like About You. I'm like, oh, man, this guy, he's, 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 uh, he's the coolest in my book. Tell, tell us about that video. Absolutely. I mean, this was uh, a, a two-parter, really. When my now wife and I first started dating, uh, I was like in the throes of making YouTube videos. And as soon as we started dating, I wanted to get her in a video. So we did just a, you know, a carpool karaoke video, taking from what we've seen uh, uh, on late night. You've seen those carpool karaoke videos. Yeah. But I just wanted to make, put a twist on it and have it be a battle. So like her versus me. And we did one video together and it did really well. It got like a hundred thousand views. And I was like, that's yeah. cool. And, uh, when it came time to propose, um, I had convinced her, we had met on Bumble and I had convinced her that Bumble wanted us to do another one of those videos. Cause I knew it was going to be hard to get her to do it yeah. again. Yeah. So I said, Bumble wanted us to, and, and that's why I was filming it. And the hook on this was that I, had her brother fly out from Tennessee. I had her parents fly out uh, from Texas. And what she didn't know was that whenever it was my turn, uh, I was going to have one of them jump in the car and sing with me. So her parents were singing. That's what I like about you with me. Uh, her brother was singing a, a Blink-182 song with me, First Date. Uh, so all the songs kind of had something to do with our relationship. My wife, on the other hand, did not know that this was going to be her proposal date. And she chose a song from SNL called Natalie's rap. And if you're not familiar with this sketch on SNL, the whole joke is that Natalie Portman is very uh, proper and prim. (laughs) I remember that. uh, And then in her song, she's just cussing and swearing and say all the craziest shit. And uh, I apologize. I don't know if we can swear on here, but I'm already, yeah, yeah, you can. Doing- <laughs> yes, no, you can. <laughs> I'm already doing what what she didn't know, which was just swearing uncontrollably. And now that's the video that we look back on forever as as uh, the video that we'll show our kids of of uh, proposing. 
Uh, That's and, and awesome. It did really well. It, it did really well online. It yeah. Really cool to see. Yeah, it did. Well, congratulations. I mean, what a great, what a great um, memento to have and just a, a document of, you know, that you can look back at and show your kids. Probably you will want to fast forward through the Natalie Portman part once, once you have, once you have, and I <laughs> think you mentioned some we news. Yeah. And I think you have some news on that front too, right? That, or is that not? My wife, my wife I'm is like, pregnant. <laughs> yeah, you're not spilling the beans. She's doing okay, good, good. And uh, we're excited. And, uh, you know, it all stems from, from that video all the way to now. I love it. I love it. Well, very cool. Um, and, you know, again, as I was doing my research, I mean, what a, what a great, uh, what a great sort of story you have here for your career, working on Jimmy Kimmel as a production intern, working for him for Red Bull, which comes into the, the picture here a little bit later as well. You know, being a, a content creator on, on YouTube um, to then working at Red Bull Media House, um, you know, and then, you know, working at Omelette. And then, you know, now you are at NVE uh, Experience Agency as the executive creative director. So it's a cool route. And then we want to talk about that a little bit later, but you've kind of had sort of a secure, circuitous route and done all kinds of uh, cool things. Um, so what, what, uh, tell us a little bit about your role now and what you're doing at, at, uh, NVE. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I'm the executive creative director of content at NVE. And the reason you have to throw the word content on the end is because NVE is traditionally uh, an experiential agency. Right. So real world experiential stuff. And I joined about two years ago, uh, in the middle of the pandemic when people thought experiences were dead. And for right. a short period of time, maybe they were. Um, and a big part of me joining was you know, adding an extra arm to how we even define what an experience is. And in my definition, who's to say that when you watch a video, you shouldn't feel as if you just had an experience? You know, right. I, I want to be moved after I watch something. And whether that moves me just emotionally or functionally moves me to take an action, I think all of those add to just having that experience of bringing it into your living room. And uh, we've been able to offer this now for two years and just been so fortunate. I mean, I don't think any of us knew how big it would blow up for NVE. I looked at my, after one year, I had goals that I wrote. Yeah. I was like, get three new clients in the first year. <laughs> like we were doing stuff for Netflix, for uh, NBA 2K, for Tanqueray, uh, and these are all like national commercial spots that all happened, you know, in less than 12 months time. And uh, I, I don't think any of us were ready for just how how big the appetite was yeah. during that pandemic and the credibility that NVE had from the experiential side to then bring it over to this side of creative. Yeah. And I think a lot of people may not understand this because I've, you know, I've worked uh, in experiential for many, many years. And that's always been my dream is to add more content work because that's sort of my background. And and to be perfectly honest, it's always been a struggle to to convince clients that, you know, that, that we can excel in that area as well. We can do experiential, traditional experiential all day long, but it, it's always been a struggle to convince them that we can do content as well. And we've done a couple of, of, of really great pieces, but it's been tough. How did you, how did you overcome that? That's a great question. I mean, because it's so easy to get stuck in 
what people expect out of an experiential agency when they think about content. What they expect is like an event recap or right. a sizzle video. And, right. you know, by all means, happy to do those all day, but I don't sure. think that that typically tells a story. And something that we learned during the pandemic was that, you know, you can have your event and you can affect the hundred people that can physically be there. But what about the thousands of people that can't be there? How can you right. keep that creative thread that's happening on site and now tell a much deeper and more enriched story for everyone that couldn't be in attendance? And what we found is that, you know, our clients are just really down for testing and learning and just dipping their toe in. And once we dip our toe in and we can show the value, because half of it is, of course, the creative, and the other half is the performance. Did it work? And right. nine times out of 10, it's working for them. And so they come back to the trough and say, okay, let's try something bigger this time. Let's try something more creative, or let's you know, just try a purely content piece. And yeah. that's where we get excited is when we, you know, we're always down for an ex- what I call an experiential extension. Right. And then we slowly go all the way to, let's just make content, baby. <laughs> yeah. I got to imagine though, and when this is probably a topic for another show, I got to imagine that some of their other agencies, you know, their more traditional quote unquote ad agencies are like, who the hell are these guys? And they're, they're, they're trying to steal our, you know, get in, get onto our turf, which I think is silly. Right. Cause I think it's like, whoever's got the best idea. Um, and, and again, if it's, if it's, you know, if it's an extension to an experience, then obviously you guys are the best um, suited to do that. But I got to imagine you're cheesing For off sure. some other agency folks. Well, you know, and you know, a lot of people that we work with, they have their, AOR for traditional creative and they have a set path. They have a set plan. They know what they're doing. Often what we're coming in to do are things that are kind of off the beaten path, things they want to test, things they want to try. And then we just been fortunate enough to succeed enough in those that they keep coming back. Yeah. Very cool. So one of the things that I like to do right off the top is I love, um, you know, uh, analogies or different ways to kind of visualize or think about the role of a creative director, right? So I've had people on the show talk about, you know, it's it's like you're you're directing an orchestra or you're, you know, a um, a caddy. That was probably my favorite, right? Because it's like we we've played the course, we know what clubs to use, we know the distances, um, et cetera, et cetera. But how how would you? How do you think about the role? Is there some kind of interesting way that you think about it? I love I love this question. What a fun way to like wrap your head around it. Uh, I don't know if this is like cheating as an answer, but I feel like it's like being a part of an improv team. Um, okay. Because the, the rooms that I try to facilitate for creative are particularly in the first round is a yes and room. Just yeah. be, being creative myself, having groups of creative that I've worked with, you know, you are taking nothing and turning it into something. And in those early rounds, it's so crucial to yes. And everyone around you, as opposed to turning anything down. And just like improv, you know, some of this shit is going to land and some of it is going to fall flat, but we're all trying to bring each other up in the room as opposed to, fighting for your own idea. And in fact, 
the the best improv is when you set someone else up and then they take the slam dunk as opposed to trying to get your own thing pushed through constantly. So yeah. and you can feel that in the rooms when like people are building on things as opposed to forcing their own thing through. And so it's like an improv troupe and just your ability to foster that positive environment and bring those, those ideas to the table that, you know, might sound like they're going to flop. And I've seen ideas that like definitely were at the bottom of the totem pole until they started to get yes and it. And they turned into the thing that we ended up going with. Yeah. Um, th- that's where I think the excitement comes. So that's a great sort of segue. I'll also, add, I'll yeah. also add that you're yeah. constantly in a Zoom scenario now, you are constantly performing for clients. Like that, that, that's half of the job is – uh, what I call Zoom theater, and mm-hmm. that because now you can't be in the room, and I can't feel your physical energy there. What can we do to show that story unfold? I, I know the audience can't see us right now, but we're on like what seems like a Zoom meeting, and like I'll in pitches pick up my camera and like show you the shots that I'm trying to portray, and like I, yeah. I was pitching something. Uh, with Tank Ray where an arm was coming into the shot and I had my wife standing off screen, like uh, my hands are in the shot and then her arm comes in. It's like a third arm. And I'm like trying to add little layers and elements of surprise that you can't get uh, in real life. So taking the, what was previously a, a something that was like a roadblock and turning it into, I can now show them the shot because we're in the actual camera. I can now yeah. add little layers. So just like improv, like you're performing. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a great that's a great point. Uh, you know, I'm writing this this book. Um, you know that that's really geared towards people that are about to become creative directors, looking to become creative directors, and I do a whole mm-hmm. section on on pitching. And, you know, especially now, you know, it's changed, right? Because you were in the room before, like you just said, right? You could kind of gauge people's energy. But what I, what I wrote in there, and it's, it's really um, sort of more important now than ever before, is you have to sort of be your, the best version of yourself. No, you're not, you're not trying to be fake, but you definitely have to kind of notch it up a little bit, right? And, and maybe do some of those things that you were just talking about. Let your kind of your personality come through a little bit more because, you know, as we as we do these things, um, it's it's very impersonal and it's hard it's hard to cut through, right? Especially also um, when when folks on the other side may may or may not even have their camera on, you know, and things of that nature. It's how, you know how do you cut through? And you know that's one of the things that I write about. It's like you gotta you gotta kind of step it up a little bit. Don't be fake, but be sort of the best version of yourself. Without a doubt, I mean, and there's like a few things that I think are important about like Zoom etiquette. Like yeah. I've been on pitch. There's zoom etiquette on both sides. Like I've been on pitches right. where everyone on the client side had their camera off, and I'm just like, I, I said during the pitch, I was like, "Hey guys, I'd love if I could have your cameras up, just so I know like I'm talking to you directly." And like tried to find a way, just to, like respectfully say like, "We're all here together." Uh, but that's like where I think I have a, a bit of an advantage, only because I've been in front of the camera on my computer. For years, when I started YouTubing, you filmed on your laptop. And uh, I was, you know, creating these YouTube videos in my dorm room where I was just being myself, but figure out how you do that 
where you can see yourself on the screen. And then I'd go back and edit it and listen to myself talk for hours that now I've just gotten comfortable enough that doing it live with clients is just something that feels like I'm back in the dorm room making YouTube videos. Yeah. And, and we kind of, I kind of glossed over this. I, I meant to ask you about that, but you know, how, how long have you been doing uh, your YouTube, various YouTube channels? And uh, again, in our conversation last week, it sounds like you've got kind of all these little projects and things that you're doing just for fun, which you mentioned sort of in turn makes you more credible or more able to sell through ideas. Cause you're able to point to the clients and say, Hey, I did this thing. And it was super successful. Now imagine what we could do for you, you know, with with some additional money behind it, things like that. Without a doubt. I mean, I started YouTubing before YouTuber was a term. Uh, this is YouTube started in 2007 and that's, or sorry, 2006. That's when my first video went up. And over the course of four years, I was uh, considered, YouTube used to have rankings for different yeah. categories. And I was one of the top 20 comedians on YouTube at the time. And I mean, by today's standards, those followings weren't like nearly as big as they are now. But like, you need to remember, like following someone online was brand new then. Right. And by the time I graduated, there was still no monetization option on YouTube. Like if you were a creator, uh, YouTube didn't have the, the rev split they have now. But I did foster one of the first ever brand deals as a creator or one of the first ever brand deals with a major company. So when I was a senior, uh, I, I got a brand deal with Ford Motor Company. Um, wow. They had, a, they had a contest separate for like uh, the Ford Global Test Drive. You made a video and they would donate $10,000 to a charity of your choice. So I was already making videos. I made one and ended up getting the most votes and views in the world. So because this is like a global competition. Wow. Um, they ended up sending myself and my girlfriend in college at the time to Spain to test drive these new cars. And then after that, uh, they, they gave me a the $10,000 for the children, Children's Miracle Network, which I did a lot of work with in college, and, yeah. um, and then gave me a, a Ford Focus. And wow. I ended up donating that, that car to the hospital, the children's hospital, because these parents are putting so many miles – on their car, just driving back and forth between their house and the hospital. But after that, uh, continued to work with Ford uh, because we had developed this relationship. And it was one of those just like small ways to learn how to even negotiate what's a quote unquote influencer deal now. Yeah. Uh, back then, there was no rhyme or reason to how this was going on. Uh, yeah. And let me tell you, it was, a, it was not the best deal on my end, great deal for Children's Miracle Network, and that's what we were doing it for. So I'm, yeah. I'm grateful for that. Yeah, well, I mean, it, you know, it was like you know, people have been sort of building the 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 plane as they fly it, right? And that, so nobody, I mean, you you couldn't have known what what was going to be down the line for some of these influencers, right? Which is which is crazy. I mean, it's I mean, it's great. It's great for them and you know these content creators, but I don't think anybody could have imagined um, that that things would get you know, that crazy, that expensive. I mean, it, you know, and and again, great for them. It's funny. I I still see it come to life today. uh, You know, when working with clients and just, there's still so much we don't know about, you know, these algorithms. And when you're thinking about doing any sort of piece of content, 
it's always going to end up online one way or the other. Like it's almost silly to say that it's like digital content. Like all content is digital content because even right. if it's a commercial, it'll end up on YouTube eventually. And uh, so I, I always tell clients, like if, if anyone's ever coming to you saying you're going to make your video go viral, yeah. they're lying to you. They're lying. Yes, no exactly. One, there's no perfect formula for this. No. But there are a lot of foundational building blocks. Sure. And – some some analytics and some you know things you can blend the art with the science uh, to set yourself up and i think that's where you know a lot of my my career has been built on just trying to figure out how to blend that art with the science right yeah i i love that point because I, I agree and i say that often it's like if anybody ever comes and tells you like that they know how to make it go viral they're <laughs> lying to you or they're hiring a bunch of bots and then you're, you're gonna exactly. be viral a bunch of you know bots operating out of you know some some eastern block country um well that, but just, that's another thing too i mean i'm constantly uh like my most interesting kpi is never views like i don't hmm. care i mean of course views are interesting in the sense of like they are a vanity kpi it makes me feel good to see a million right. views but i can't do anything with a view what i can do something with is a comment and you can't mm. pay for a comment. Like that has to be organic. And I'm way more interested in seeing what someone has to say, seeing their username attached, having a dialogue back and forth now. You can now manipulate your content based on what these people are saying in real time. And that's so much more valuable to me yeah. than any view. That's that's interesting. And it's funny that you mentioned that because I'm not a big comment reader. But my son, who's who's 13, that's what he does. He like goes down and reads the comments, right? And you're right. I mean, that's the currency, right? It's like you can't, especially if you're selling a product and if, if the product is good and people are talking about it and they love it and they're, you know, that's, you're right. You can't pay for that. I never, I never thought about that. That's right. It, it's funny you say that too about your son being a, around 13, which is kind of in that TikTok age too, because on TikTok, the comment section is almost like, its own completely separate entertainment form. Like I'll watch a video huh. and depending on what that video is, I'll go straight to the comments section and start to see all the hilarious stuff people are saying in the comments. It's like a whole new thread of entertainment in there. So it really is like a super valuable place to learn a lot about your brand. That is interesting. All right. So sorry to jump around all, all, all over the place, but, um, but it, it's, it's good. Uh, it's good conversation. So now I'm going to go backwards and let's talk a little bit about, and you started to touch on it with the yes. And, but tell me a little bit more about your, your creative process when you're working with your team. Uh, first of all, it sounds like you're a lot of fun to, to work for, but tell me a little bit, what, what might it look like? You've gathered the team, you've got a brief, you guys are working on a big project. What is that? What is that ideation? I don't like to use the word brainstorms because brainstorming as it's been defined drives me nuts. But what do you like? What's in the room? What's happening? How do you do it? Absolutely. It's so interesting because like that's just changed so much. It's just a short amount of time. Like right. even saying you're in the room is like right, a metaphor yeah. now because <laughs> yeah. we're not actually in the room. Um, and, and because of that, uh, maybe before what I would have preferred to do was all get in a room at a very early stage and just get like briefed in by a strategist and start throwing things on the wall right then and there. But since we've kind of evolved in this 
work from home space, what I found I think works better is once we're fully briefed in, it's just giving everyone a little bit of space to yep. do their own thing. So when we do come into a Zoom meeting, it's just for some reason a little bit harder in the Zoom world to come up with ideas and and bounce them off in real time off the fly. I think yeah. it's really helpful if everyone has at least like – I never ask for any fully fleshed anything. Right. But I do ask for just like come in with thought starters, come in with ways in – Come in with the why. Like, why is yeah. anyone going to care about this? Why is anyone going to share this? Yeah. Um, and then we can start from there. Uh, because if we have some foundation, each one of us has five to ten different ways in. You know, we're going to have more than enough once we start to get down into the whittling it down perspective. Right. And and do you use any kind of like uh, any kind of tools or or you know technology? I know you know speaking to the whole Zoom world, right? We started using this this tool called Mural, where you, you know I had somebody while we we're talking, so that I could kind of facilitate. They're taking notes and they're writing things on these virtual sticky notes, and then you could move them. You know, you could rank them up and down, just like you would in a room. But do you do you use anything like that? It kind of depends on the project and the scope of the work. Um, you know, if we're talking like a big brand campaign, I think that that's awesome. And we, and we do use that same tool where we have yeah. the same sticky notes and it literally looks like a whiteboard where you're, yeah. uh, have physical sticky notes on there. And then you can also draw on the board and start to whittle concepts down. Um, but we're also, I mean, Slack in and of itself has just become like similar to the comment threads we were talking about yeah. has become like its own, these Slack channels that we make like these separate Slack channels that have nothing to do with the uh, uh, project. So like we have like, uh, the official Slack channel and like the unofficial Slack channel. And that's where, I mean, we're just sharing videos, throwing TikToks, like making our own videos. That's yeah. half our team are all content creators. So like, that's rad. We'll just mock something up ourselves half the time and make it and just throw it in the chat and just start watching ourselves act it out. And more often than not, that's where we start to get really interesting ideas on how we could shoot it from like a directorial perspective. How could we, how could our DP use the camera to make a certain camera action move? And how do we want our, our actors to be positioned once we're actually in that, that, that scene? So much of it comes from us just mocking it up ourselves first, showing yeah. that to the client, getting them excited. It's like, like kind of what we said earlier, like, if we just did this, just us, imagine what we could do once we actually, right. you know, have a budget put together. Yeah. So it sounds like you um, kind of like this idea, like I do, of sort of rapid prototyping, right? And make, making stuff quickly and, 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 sh and sharing it. Um, does it work? Because I know that in my experience, it doesn't work with all clients because sometimes some clients get ca caught up with like, was well, it really going to look like that? It's like, no, I'm just, we're just trying to give you a little flavor of what it could be. But do you like that? Do you like just kind of rapid prototyping and making stuff? And I really do like it because we've just set the expectation that like, because it is just us and because we are just using our phones, we haven't run into any clients being like, Oh, like that's what it's going to be. I'm like, they kind of understand that this is the, 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 the D version of it and we'll work our way to the A once we actually go into production. Um, but if you can sell the idea 
And if you can right. sell the feeling, uh, the the quality will come. And that's what I mean with the importance of even like what's the scope of the project because quality is in the eye of the beholder. Uh, quality on TikTok is much different than quality yes. on TV. Correct. And and if I and and I don't do a, a lot of what you're talking about, but. Uh, you also have to keep in mind that something that looks too produced on TikTok is not going to work, right? Because they're going to say like, well, this is, you know, they're going to, they're going to smell a that's rat. That's exactly gonna, right. So it's kind of like, that's a whole other sort of layer, aesthetic layer that you have to think about, right? Well, it's going to be authentic. That's why, that's why it's pretty exciting working with the, the group that we have, because aside from myself, like really no one else from the team, maybe there's like two of us, that came from agencies and everyone else did not come from an agency. So everyone has this, has this uh, understanding that like we are not tourists in the spaces that we're creating content for. We are Mm. natives to that space. And what that means is that we are already going in speaking that language. And that's so crucial when you're going into these communities like TikTok and all these brands are doing it wrong right off the rip because they're not speaking the language. They're a tourist in there and haven't really committed to understanding what is the culture and how do I become of that part of that culture as opposed to trying to force myself into that culture. That's that's a really cool way to think about that in terms of you know being being native to that that whole world. Um, yeah, that's that's interesting. So if you were um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this from a different angle a little bit later, but you know, if you if you were giving a piece of advice to somebody that's looking to become a creative director, have you ever, you know, have you gotten a good piece of advice from somebody, something that you can share, um, any any sort of watch outs or things that you don't like about the job, but or, you know, any kind of words of wisdom that you can share with someone that's listening going, I want to do this job someday? Yeah, I think a, a big part of it is really understanding your strengths And, you know, I I used to look at it like Mario Kart stats, where I was trying to get every one of the different stats to 100. And what you realize quickly is that you're just going to burn yourself out if you're you're trying to max out every stat, as opposed to what am I really good at? For me, I know that uh, pitching, presentations, uh, like really getting into explaining creative and riffing in real time, like coming yeah. with ideas in real time. These are my strengths. Uh, ironically, I'm dyslexic, severely dyslexic. Went through really? my entire childhood going through wow. uh, all, so much like uh, uh, different programs for it. And my writing, like actual pen to paper, is like not my strength. But I can I can get it down. But then it's like. We definitely going to need to review this afterwards and make sure yeah. we got all the kinks up. Um, so it's just, uh, I think, really recognizing where those strengths are and knowing that like there are ways in and, and finding any sort of crack in the door like that. For me, it was like, okay, like get me in a room and that's where I can really shine. If I'm just going to be reviewed on paper, that may not be it, and maybe that's not the right agency for me. Um, right. So, so that'd be definitely where I start and where I'd end is just make stuff like make stuff that wasn't expected of you make stuff that wasn't 
asked of you by a client. Make something right. wasn't asked of you if you're if you're still in college and you're like, how do I get into even just get into the industry? The bare minimum to get hired now out of college is not that you did what you were asked in school. It was that you did something outside of your schoolwork. Because that's what everyone's looking for. It's like, show me your work outside of your class. Like, right. prove it. So it's like these steps. So once you're out of school, it's like, okay, keep making stuff that isn't being asked of you by your clients. And that's yeah. just going to continue to, uh, I think, just work out those muscles that aren't being worked out maybe uh, while you're uh, at the job. Yeah, because, you know, obviously what you're learning in, in school is valuable, but it's it's completely different than what you're going to experience once you – you know, you hit the ground running, right? It's not a, it's not a perfect, it's not a perfect system and it's not, you know, it, it's, it's a completely different world. Without a doubt, without a doubt. And even, yeah. you know, you think about how the path to become a creative director within the system. And I even hate saying the word system because it implies that there's only one path to get there. But like, I think the, the hardest way to get there is allowing yourself to get pigeonholed and allowing – we're going to talk about this later, I imagine. But yeah. it's like uh, letting someone else craft your narrative. Yeah. And so making sure that you are in control of like how you craft that and a big part of that is what you do outside of work. Yeah. All right. So let's take a quick break and we'll be back with more from Ty Stafford. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And we're back with more from executive creative director, Ty Stafford. You said something really provocative right before the break that I, that I want to spend some time talking about, which was this idea of not letting someone else craft your narrative, right? When it comes to your, your, your career path or, you know, what it's going to take to get you to be a creative director. What, what did you mean by that? Yeah. Uh, I think that, whether you're in advertising or not, it's really easy to see what the ladder kind of says you're supposed to be before you become what you're hoping to become. So in the case of a creative director, you're either starting as a junior copywriter and then you're a copywriter and then you're uh, a senior copywriter. And it's like this predisposed path of this is the only way to do it. And that's all well and good. And it, you definitely learn a lot along the way. And what I'm not saying is like, don't find that path that allows you to learn and get that development. But 
I just find people get discouraged if they didn't start when you were quote unquote supposed to start. Right. And then it either deters you from either going for it. I mean, uh, our associate creative director, for example, he didn't even get into advertising until like the last five years before that he was in a completely different industry and completely pivoted. And it was just really inspiring to me. I'm like, yes, dude, like you don't have to just start where they tell you to start because all the things that you work on outside of that ladder, all are still experienced that could apply. And, you know, some of the most creative people I've ever met are like some of these account guys who always tell me they wish that they were in creative and they wanted to do it. And in my head, it's like nothing's stopping you. Like you still could do that if you wanted to. Um, And, you know, I think it's just easy to, to feed ourselves the narrative that is, is bestowed to us. You're given this title. And so that's who I am. But even if you're not in the creative team or you're given a certain title, it doesn't mean that you don't control your title outside of work. And right. that's going to give you hopefully the experience that can help kind of level out until you get to where you're hoping to go. Yeah. And, you know, how do you, you know, one thing that I've sort of prided myself on a little bit is being able to spot those people because it's, it's going to take somebody giving them a chance. Right. So in this, in this case, it's you or me, right. Saying like, well, this person on paper um, or, or based on their experience, maybe shouldn't be here, but I've, you know, I've seen what they can do. I've talked to them. I kind of understand that they might, you know, be able to slot in here, but it, it takes somebody to be able to do that, you know, and which is well, risky, think- right? Because then it, you know, People are looking at you like, it's, hey, you you said this person could do this job. Well, hopefully it's, it's, it's less and less risky now that it's like so much creative expression is in the hands of the individual. Like no yeah. longer do you need so many tools where the barrier to entry was like thousands of dollars and like all this equipment. Like you can create incredible stuff with your phone, with a tablet, with like a microphone. And yeah, maybe on paper they don't have the – the title that they might need before, but maybe they can show me that they've been creating these TikToks, or maybe they can show me that they created a podcast. Maybe they can show me these, these, these ads that they've been spinning up that are just like parody ads just for fun. And it's like, Oh, okay. Like you're doing the job in a different way. Yeah. And that proves enough to me uh, to, to take the risk. Yeah. Because it's really about the, What's the word I'm looking for? It's not the mechanics is not the right word, but it's like you just need to know you just need to know enough to be able to do it. Right. In other words, and I think that's where your whole thought about, you know, seeing stuff that they've done outside of of their jobs comes into play. Right. It's like you just need to do it because you did a great job with this thing that you shot on your phone. Now, imagine if we, you know, partnered you up with somebody that's a great uh, writer and they're going to punch up maybe your, your, uh, you know, your script. And then we're going to partner you up with, you know, a, we're going to provide you with a whole crew that's going to shoot this in a much, um, you know, high, higher production value sort of way. Right. It's like, you just need to know that that person can has the mechanics or has the understanding of what it takes to do it. Without a doubt. I mean, another, another woman on our team, you know, her background came from, 
you know, she, she was in like psychology. Um, she was working in a completely different field beforehand. And we, what we, what she did so eloquently was to tie together how that background fed into getting into the minds of the individuals and how they, you know, go through the, the creative process and how they make their purchasing decisions and how the creative that she's developing is coming from that perspective. And I was like, damn, that's a super unique way to approach creative, to approach strategy, to approach content. Like, absolutely. I, I, I just loved it. And so I think like, if you can just show how these things connect, uh, you know, you're putting your best foot forward. So I wonder if you were to give somebody, a, you know, some advice on how to break through, right? Because it's, it gets so complicated now. And you mentioned like algorithms earlier, right? But now there's like algorithms that are weeding out resumes, right? And it's like, well, they didn't, they didn't have the right keywords in there or they didn't, you know, talk about the right oh, things. I know. Like, how can, how can folks like that, that have a talent, that have ability, you know, how do they, how do they break through, you know, without, uh, without having to say like, you know, please, you know, I just, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I feel like if somebody wrote, well, wrote me a letter and uh, a cover letter and said, like, I just need a chance. Somebody just please take a look at this that I might be compelled to look at it. But how, how could somebody break through? Having real stuff to show always is going to, like, turn an eye, particularly if it's unexpected. If you're just making something unique for the sake of making it, particularly if it's working, if it's, like, getting comments, and it's creating an audience, like, there's value in that in and of itself uh i also think i mean like really custom reaching out to people like you know all of us in the professional world get all these like cold emails all the time right and i delete almost all of them but there's like a few people who have like cut through by just being wildly specific in that first sentence like they right. say something like I watched your your YouTube proposal video and loved the yeah. song that you picked. And I'm like, damn, okay, you watched that video. Like, you know, I know this is not a canned email. Right. And it's like, even just doing that, like, okay, you took a little something to, to try to stand out. There's There's got to be something interesting there. Yeah. So, you know, related to what we're just talking about, what do you think? Because I, I have my own thoughts here, but I'd love to hear what you have to say. What do you think the future holds for the quote unquote traditional agency or the, the agency model? Uh, what, what are your thoughts there? Because it sounds like you guys, you know, are, are kind of forging your own sort of path a little bit, especially with bringing you on board. Right. But what do you think the future looks like for agencies? I mean, there's a lot. Hey, there's a lot of competition. Right. We obviously still have the big the big shops and the big behemoths. But now you have you know, consultancies getting into the creative business, which is from a business perspective makes a lot of sense to me because they have access to the CEOs and the CMOs directly. So from a business point of view, it makes a lot of sense from a creative point of view. I'm not sure that, that it does, but they're coming after it. Right. And then you have, to your point, everyone's a content creator, right? So you have these small groups of these little collectives of people that, that can do stuff at a fraction of the cost in, you know, a third of the time or whatever. So what do you think the, uh, the future holds for, for agencies? Yeah, it's a great question. And 
You know, I don't think I, – I, I think it actually is more opportunity for more styles of agency. I mm. think often people look at it like one has to go in order for another to emerge. But I almost look at it like the opposite. Like because there's so many new styles of content needing to be creative – be needing to be created, uh, it just requires so much more output. And I think brands are recognizing that that output is just – needs to be at a higher scale and they can't put that all on a single agency. They just simply can't get the output they need from a single agency. I'm, I'm seeing agencies go, that have multiple different agencies that they work with for creative. Yeah. And I think it just means that the pie is getting bigger and there's more slices to distribute. Um, at least it's what I've been seeing so far. And I hope that for everyone, because I think there's a, a, a place for, the big shops. And I think there's a place for boutique agencies. I don't think one has to live without the other or one needs to be the single winner. I think that everyone actually ends up thriving in the, the, the market that we're currently in. So what is, so in terms of NVE, like what are your, you know, what are your evil plans to take over the world or what, what, you know, what, what do you hope to accomplish during your time there or what's you know what what would look like success for you in the coming years yeah i mean i'll tell you in two years time i'm already so just grateful for the success that we've gotten i mean we won a clio award with nba 2k fest uh we were fortunate enough to win a can lion in collaboration with the agency miramar uh for social and influencer work which our team took on um, and at this point it's about scale and agent NVE is a experiential agency first and foremost, but we want to turn the content arm into being equal in billings, uh, in the next like five years. So yeah. grow the content arm to be an equal portion of what the agency's output is because these go in hand in hand so well, like, yeah experientials meant to be seen by more than just the people that could physically be there and that those stories should live on. Uh, I think there's a great opportunity for that and the brands are, are seeing the value in it. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that, you know, um, well, first of all, and it was funny because I was just having this conversation today with, with the client and with my colleagues, it's like there needs to be sort of a new definition of experiential, right? Because it's, it's, it, it, you know, to your point early, early on in this conversation, it's like it really in some ways can 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 be anything. Right. It's like I think we always think of it as like an event or like a, a pop up of some sort or a tour or whatever. But it really could be, you know, much more. I think there needs to be some kind of new, you know, broader definition of it. Well, I think this is where Brett Hyman, our CEO, has really been innovative. Like he's been three steps ahead of where this industry is going. I mean, there was a time I look back like four years ago where I'm going on threads online where people are saying that experiential's dead. And like every year of NVE's uh, lifespan has been its best year, maybe minus COVID uh, in 2020, but like uh, – I, I, to that point, his, his philosophy is the right moment will change someone forever. And I think that's very true. And I think that helps open up what experiential can be. Like, what are these moments that allow people to change? 
And on the content side, our, our spin on that is the right story will change someone forever. And so right. just using that same philosophy to recognize what, what content even is because contents even turned right. into a million different things. Yeah. I think one of the things that I'd be curious to get your take on it. I mean, I think one of the things that, that trips us up, not trips us up, but you know, it causes some, some issues, right. Is how you, how you measure experiential, right. And how you measure. And, and it's funny because I don't think that, other, you know, uh, other channels get scrutinized as much in terms of like dollars, right? It's like, well, you know, we're going to, we're going to do this thing, but how many people are going to come through it? Well, not that many, but if we add some content to it, then a bunch of people are going to see it. Right. So it's like, you I think know, that's the, the beauty the, of the our the measurement. That's definitely the beauty on our side. I, I can't speak to the experiential side and, and how they measure on their end. But I do know that that's a great just addition to why adding content just adds a little extra value because uh, you do have something that has clear analytics that are literally baked into the video platforms that allow us to just show directly after, as well as just, you know, in my opinion, the experiences that NVE puts on are like groundbreaking. And I think that those stories deserve to live beyond just the time they're physically there. Right. And so whether we're telling an experiential extension and telling a story that way, or just simply creating content for content's sake, uh, having those ways to measure, I think is the reason that we've been so successful because we can go back and show them like, here are some of those metrics, like we mentioned that aren't just uh, vanity KPIs, but are KPIs that you can actually take now and use to continue to make better and better creative that moves the needle in the way that you're hoping to. Right. All right. Well, we've come, we've come to that point in the show and I just had a flash of, of horror because I just realized that I did not prep you for this question. So I might, <laughs> I might, I might have to give you a few minutes to think about it, but uh, right. we have to pay off the title of the show, which is confessions of a creative director. Do you, Ty Stafford, have something you want to confess to as a creative director? I can't believe that I forgot to send you that. I got I got to get more buttoned up here. What kind of sh- what kind of shit show am I running here? Wow. Let, let me. Can I have just a quick second to think about a nice yeah, confession? Abs- absolutely. Okay, that's great. I got it. I'll, I already got it. I'll edit. I'll edit out the. Oh it. yeah, you already got it. I don't have to edit out any any uh, any time here. Okay. Oh, he's no, moving. Yeah, he's moving my, around. He's moving around. I don't know if this yeah. is part of the confession. Wait, or is not. It, this, yeah, this is this is the nice, just kind of like uh, letting everyone in on on the secret. But I think it's valuable, a valuable lesson for everyone. And we were talking about you know transitioning from college to the real world, and you know that path you take. And I started my career at Red Bull Media House out of college, and in the first six months at working at Rebel Media House, I almost was fired. Uh, my boss told me, uh, with no uncertain terms, he said, if it wasn't so hard to fire people, you would be let go. And the reason for that was because coming out of college and going into that real world, I, I didn't fully have a grip on like, you know, you don't get a pat on the back for doing what your job was. Like, 
I, I used to be a student brand manager for Red Bull. And, yeah. you know, ju- because there's so many college kids that, like, were, you know, pissing off when they were supposed to be doing their job. I just did my job and I was getting praise left and right. And then when yeah. I went to <laughs> Red Bull Media House, I thought I was just big man on campus and I was just doing adequate. And, you know, at a place like Red Bull, adequate ain't enough. And it really took that, like, real honesty for me to turn a switch in my head. And it was at that point that I recognized, like, this is what it takes to, like, fully deliver for a global brand like this. And I, it's one of those, like, fight or flight moments. And I chose to go in and fight and, like, become a better creative, become a better strategist, become a better producer, learn all these tactics and that's when we were able to see like massive growth on the channels and, you know, have a success story come out of something that, you know, could have been the end of my career. <laughs> so let me see if I get this. Let me see if I got this right. So what did what happen? Was it that you, you know, during your college time, you were getting praise left and right. You show up. This is now your paid gig. You're not getting the you're not getting the praise. So then you started phoning it in. Yeah, I, I, I didn't fully, I didn't fully grip just the scale that we were working on at Red Bull yeah. Media House. You know, we're creating some of the craziest, most like innovative digital content in the world, particularly at the time. I mean, this is like yeah. right before we started doing like Red Bull Stratos, where the guy jumped out of space, yeah. and uh, it was kind of like having that talk with my boss because yeah it's like i was also from iowa brand new to la it was just yeah. so new to be in an environment like this <laughs> that like you know you're going out all the time just to try to experience what the city had to offer and maybe not putting that same energy into the work and uh, you're also at red bull which was like uh, you know yeah a party in and of itself and once you can learn how to balance the the fun party side of it, but then also give the exact same amount to the the work. So you truly are working hard and playing hard. That's when you find the the fun balance and actually can deliver on some really, really cool projects. And that's when I got to, you know, I sink my teeth into Red Bull Stratos. That's when I got to uh, produce uh, some of the first ever uh, collaborations with YouTube and brands where YouTube paid us to make content. Um, and, uh, you know, start to grow these channels to the millions of views and millions of, of followers. But if, if it wasn't for that conversation and being brutally honest with me, you know, I may not have turned that switch and realized the quality that's necessary in order to really succeed. Yeah. And I think that's a testament to, you know, to tough love, right? Every once in a while. You have to, as a as a leader and as a manager, you have to kind of, you, you kind of have to pull somebody aside and give them the straight dope, right? Because sometimes, you know, especially nowadays, I think, uh, you know, people's heads get filled with certain ideas and it's hard to, you know, to really realize like, well, shit, maybe I'm not as good as I think I am or I'm not delivering as much as I, as I think I am. And sometimes you have well, to yeah, have those tough conversations. I think it's really great what a great manager can do too, because like not, not actually giving up on somebody and finding what makes them tick and finding what makes them excited about the job and 
it was at that time too that my boss recognized like what elements of the job I really loved. And he started throwing me in those. It was like, oh, okay, I can really thrive when I'm coming up with new uh, creative for these videos. I can really thrive when I'm working with the production team to make up what these series are going to be for the channels and, and start to have more of that creative arm in it. And, uh, you know, it, it just really worked out in, in, a, in a way that I'm really grateful for. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. That's a great, that's yeah. a great confession. And it take you, it took you like two <laughs> seconds to think about it. So, uh, uh, Hey man, I'm, I'm quick on my feet, baby. You are. I love it. I love it. Thanks for uh, making the time to be, uh, on the podcast, especially given the fact that you just got home from a, from a shoot, but I thoroughly enjoyed that. I think, uh, the audience is going to really love, uh, you know, sort of your, your, your path forward and, and just sort of, you know, an understanding that you can kind of carve out, you can kind of carve out your, your trajectory, you know, by making stuff, by, you know, just sort of being a, being a creative and, and doing whatever you need to do to, to, you know, show proof of concept, really. That's right. I mean, just because you, you may not have it on your title doesn't mean that you can't go out and be creative on your own. Right. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's a great message to end on. Ty, thanks for making the time. I look forward to uh, keeping in touch and seeing what additional great things you do over at NVE. And uh, yeah, let's uh, let's keep in touch and uh, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Amazing. Thank you for having me on. And there you have it, folks. Another episode of Confessions of a Creative Director in the Books. Thanks to my very special guest, Ty Stafford. Wasn't he cool? Uh, really cool guy. Uh, look him up. Look up his videos. Look up that one that we talk about at the very beginning. It's super charming and funny and uh, just seems like a great all-around guy and somebody that uh, that you'd love to have a beer with. The next time we, we are having a beer, Ty. I'm not going to let you just do your LaCroix. Just kidding. Uh, but anyway, yeah. Thanks for tuning in. Remember, subscribe to the podcast. Tell all your friends about it. Leave a review for us. Um, you know, follow me on LinkedIn. I also just finally got off my butt and started an Instagram account for the book that's coming out. What's the big idea? So you can find me on Instagram at what is the big idea. Uh, follow me on LinkedIn. Shoot me a note. Just let me know that you're listening. Let me know if there's anybody that you would like me to talk to or any topics you'd love for us to cover. And uh, I will certainly do that. But until next time, peace, love, and creativity. Do your job, but could you make the logo?